Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John continues his message, Is Jesus Real to You?, from the 24th chapter of Luke's Gospel, as Jesus is walking unrecognized with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. We all have times in our lives when we've gone through hard times. And during those seasons, God has become more real to us. There are lots of examples I could give in my own life when I've been through something like that, and you could too. But as I was finishing this sermon last night, I thought about a time in my life, I don't know that I would call it, it's certainly not a super hard time, but for me, it was kind of a hard time. It was when I first moved away to college. I graduated from high school, and in uh, the fall of 1988, I went to Baylor University and began my, my college life there. And, and while I, on the one hand I was excited to be at college and to be at Baylor, I'd looked forward to that. On the other hand, when I got there, I was kind of homesick and I missed my family and I missed my friends. And I remember before we started classes that first semester, they had a thing called Welcome Week for all the new freshmen. And they welcomed us to Baylor, and they were teaching us how to do everything. And I remember the very first day, there were thousands of us that met in Waco Hall. They're on the campus of Baylor University. And the president of the school, Dr. Herbert Reynolds, was the keynote speaker to welcome all the new freshmen, all the 18-year-olds to, to Baylor. And he got up, and he did the Sikkim Bears. And we were getting us all fired up for Baylor. They played the Baylor song, all the stuff. And then we were seated, and he started his speech. And, and here's what he said. He said, I want to welcome you to Baylor University. He said, as you look around the room today, these are your new family members, and these are your new friends. Well, I looked around the room, and I thought, you know, I believe I like my old family and my old friends better than my... I mean, I didn't have a problem with what I had. And here I am, and he's trying to get us all happy and excited and fire us up about that. And he said, I want you to do something else. He said, I want you to look to the person on your right. So we all did. He said, now look to the person seated to your left. And so we all did. He said, according to our data, within the next four years, one of those two students will have flunked out of Baylor University. I thought, man, this thing's going from bad to worse. And then I thought, two people just looked at me, right? So I don't know where I stand in this thing. But it was a, you know, again, you're excited to be there. But I just remember thinking, especially when he said, this is your new family and these are your new friends. I thought, I, don't, I like my old family and I like my old friends. And this is hard to make, to make the new. Well, welcome weekended. School began. And first few weeks started going and everything. And, and of course, in time, I've certainly made friends at Baylor. But something more important happened than just making new friends. During my freshman year in college, I'll say it this way, Jesus Christ became more real to me than he had ever been in all my life. Now, why is that true? Well, because for the first time in my life, especially for those first few weeks, Jesus was basically all I had. Now, I knew some other people. My roommate, in fact, was someone I had grown up with in East Texas. And so I wasn't down there not knowing anyone. But I'm saying it wasn't the same as it had always been when I was growing up in my parents' house with my brother. It was just kind of me and all these people that I don't know. And so in that environment, Jesus became more real to me 
than he had ever been. And I, I can remember hearing a pastor say something one time that has stuck with me for all these years. He said, when you get to the point in your life when you discover that Jesus is all you have, that's when you find that Jesus is all you need. And I found that my freshman year at Baylor. You know, you say, John, how did Jesus become more real to you when you were a freshman in college? Well, I'm going to tell you two ways, and we're going to see these same two things in the lives of these two men on this Emmaus Road. Number one, Jesus became more real to me through His Word. Through His Word. Now, growing up in the home I grew up in, you, as you can imagine, I was taught to read my Bible and pray every day. And I did that most days. I, I didn't do it all the time, but I did it most days. But when I got in college, my daily quiet time took on a new meaning for me. And I could remember back then, you, in college, you, most of your classes started either 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. And a lot of times you're studying for a test before you go to the class. And so it never did really work for me to have a quiet time before I did that. It just seemed so rushed. So what I started doing in those days, I started getting up, studying for my test or whatever, going to class, having class all day long until about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would go to the library, had my Bible, had my prayer journal, and before I started doing my homework assignments or writing papers or studying for tests, I would spend about, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, maybe some days an hour in the library there at Baylor on the second or third floor, sitting by a window, looking out over everything, reading my Bible, having my prayer time. And that was the thing that, that I did with more regularity, more consistency. It was more meaningful to me than it had ever been. And just by doing that, that's when Jesus began to become more real to me. Now, it's interesting in this passage, as Jesus is beginning the process of revealing himself to these disciples, the first thing he did to make himself real to them, he began to open to them the Word of God. Now, all they had was the Old Testament, but look in verse 25. Look what Jesus did. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, verse 27 is a great verse. And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, now remember Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, so he's talking about the Pentateuch there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning at Moses, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What would you give to have been a part of that conversation? To have heard Jesus Christ going back to Genesis, explaining to these disciples all the prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in him. It was a sermon like has never been preached before. It was a Bible lesson like unto which no preacher today could ever give. And we're left to wonder, what did Jesus say? What scripture passages did Jesus use? And we don't know that. That is we have one verse to say Jesus showed from the Old Testament all the things that had been fulfilled in him. And so we don't know how that happened. We don't know what Jesus said. But in my, let's say it this way, in my sanctified imagination, I can't help but think that Jesus talking to these two men, and he said, guys, do you remember back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned? 
They ate the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world. And they said, oh, we've been hearing about that story all of our lives. And we've been paying for it. Sin's in the world now. And Jesus said, well, do you remember in that third chapter of Genesis... Do you remember after they had sinned and God came into that garden and he began wanting to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day like he always had? And, and Adam and Eve were ashamed because they, they had sinned and they didn't feel like they should be in the presence of God. And for the first time in their life, they were naked. And they were aware of the fact that they were. And, and they were so embarrassed and they were, they were so ashamed. And, and do you remember how, how God clothed them? with those animal skins. And they say, oh, yes, Jesus. And they didn't know Jesus. Oh, yes, we've read that story. We know about how God clothed them with animal skins. And Jesus might would have said, well, you know, if you'll think about it, before God clothed them with those animal skins, God had to sacrifice an animal. You can't cover somebody up with animal skin while the animal's still alive. So God had to take that animal, and God had to sacrifice that animal. And that animal that was sacrificed so that Adam and Eve could be covered over in their fallen condition, that, that animal is a picture of me and the sacrifice that I would one day make for the sins of all the people. And their eyes began to be open. They thought, man, we had no idea that, that, that this was... That this was referring to you. And, and maybe Jesus said, do you remember a little bit later in Genesis when God said he was going to judge the world for all their wickedness and for all their sins? And he told old Noah to build that ark. And he said, Noah, after you build that ark, get on board, you and your wife and your kids and their wives. And if you're on board, you'll be safe. Oh, we've been hearing about Noah and the ark all of our lives. And Jesus might have said to them, well, you know, Noah's ark is a picture of me. And just like Noah and his family got on that ark and they were protected from the judgment of God, if you will get aboard me, if you'll come aboard the good ship Grace, and if you'll put your faith in me, I'll protect you from the judgment and from the wrath of God. They had no idea Noah's ark was a picture of Jesus. Maybe Jesus said, you know, a little bit later in Genesis, there's another story about Abraham. Remember, he had old Isaac late in life. That was his prized possession. He was so thankful for Isaac. And yet one day God put Abraham to the test. And God said, Abraham, I've got to figure out what's more important to you, Isaac or me. And so Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that son Isaac and take him up to Mount Moriah. That's in Jerusalem. And I want you to sacrifice your son. Oh, we've heard that story all of our lives. And so Abraham took Isaac and he took him to that altar and he was about to let down the axe and he was about to sacrifice his son. And God spoke and said, Abraham, stop. You don't have to kill Isaac. I was just putting you to a test. But if you'll look over there that way, you'll find a ram in the thicket. Take that ram and let that ram be sacrificed instead of Isaac. And so they went over. Abraham did, and he sacrificed that ram. And Jesus might have said to them on that day, that ram in the thicket was an Old Testament picture of me. Because just like Isaac should have been sacrificed, but the ram took its place, you should have to die for your sins, but I have taken your place. And there goes Jesus telling these stories, and then he works himself to Exodus. He says, guys, certainly you're familiar being devoted Jews. You know all about the Passover down in Egypt and, and how God through Moses told the people to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and across that little beam at the top. And he said, tonight when the death angel comes, if he sees the blood on the door, he will pass over 
And the people living inside that house will not be destroyed. Oh, yes, we've known that story all of our lives. In fact, they would have said, Jesus, we came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We celebrate it every year. And Jesus would have said, yes, I know that. But did you realize that I'm your Passover lamb? Just like those lambs in Egypt were slain, I have been slain so that if my blood is placed over the door of your heart, you will be safe from the judgment and the wrath of God. And on Jesus went into Leviticus, the whole sacrificial system. And he's explaining this offering and that offering and all the sacrifices that had to be made. And Jesus would have said, you know, the whole book of Leviticus is really a picture of me. Because in Leviticus, sacrifices being made for people's sins... I am the ultimate sacrifice that is made. And in the numbers, and in chapter 21, he might have said, do you remember a story? It's not as well known as these others. But do you remember a story how the children of Israel, after they came out of Egypt, they're wandering through the wilderness. They're complaining against God. They're complaining against Moses. And God sent poisonous snakes in their midst. And those snakes began to bite the people. And people began to die. And Moses said, God, if you don't do something, all the Jewish people are going to die. And God said, Moses, I'm going to do something. I'm going to tell you to do something. I want you to take some bronze. And I want you to make a serpent. Fashion a serpent in bronze. Stick it on the end of a pole. Lift that pole up in the air. And tell the people who have been bitten by these poisonous snakes, if they will look to the bronze serpent, They will be healed of that venomous poison coming out of those snakes. And Moses did that, and the people did that, and they were saved. And Jesus would have said, see, John chapter 3 hadn't been written yet. But Jesus might have said to those guys, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. They had no idea that bronze serpent in the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus. And on Jesus would go and into the Psalms. And maybe in Psalm 16, he said, do you remember that verse in Psalm 16? Jewish people familiar with Psalms where the Bible says, where the Scripture says that God would not leave His Holy One in Sheol. He would not allow His body to experience corruption. That was a picture of me. I was buried. I was placed in that tomb, but my body did not decay. He didn't leave me in the grave. He brought me up out of that. And maybe into Psalm 22, where the psalmist begins by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know when that psalmist said that back then? That's something that I would say. It's a messianic psalm that I on that cross would say the same words. In that psalm, it says that one day my clothes would be divided as I was being crucified for the sins of the world. And certainly in the Isaiah, Jesus would have come to that suffering servant passage in chapter 52 and 53, and down in the first few verses of verse 53, Jesus said, don't you remember the words? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That was all about me. That's what just happened in Jerusalem. I was wounded for your trans. I was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for your peace was upon me, and by my stripes you're healed. And so Jesus, whether he took those passages or other passages, he explained to these two men from the Word of God how he was the Son of God, and how He had died on that cross and He had been risen under the power of God and in accordance with the Word of God. So all of that to say that one of the ways that God becomes real to us is when we spend time in His Word. Another way that God becomes real to me, I think about myself back at Baylor. Not only was I trying to read the Bible every day and learn what I could, God became real to these men when they spent time in His presence. Look in verse 28. Because now, after that 
Bible lesson that Jesus gave, in verse 28, it says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Now look in verse 31. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And so, Jesus has now made himself real to these disciples. At the beginning of this passage, they're hopeless, they're discouraged, they're down, they're going through a hard time. Jesus shows up. He begins to show them from the Word of God how he is the Son of God and how he is the Savior of the world. And then after this, they have this meal together. Notice this, it was at the meal that they discovered that this is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. How does God become real to us? When we spend time in His Word and when we spend time in His presence. Now let me ask you today, are you spending time in His Word every day? And are you spending time in His presence? You know, I look back when I was in college and I just I was analyzing this a lot last night. I think one of the things that happened to me where we lived in East Texas and where Baylor is in Waco, about a three-hour drive. And I was going back and forth a lot because I was preaching back in East Texas at a small country church some weekends. And other weekends, I would be preaching at other churches. I spent a lot of time in college on the road going to churches to preach. Well, most of those times, I was by myself in the car. And so... You know, I began to use that time as a time to talk to God. And it's something that I've tried to kind of keep up all these years. I encourage you, especially every day, if you have to commute to go to work, turn your commuting time, at least part of it, into a worship time. Turn the radio off, not maybe for the whole ride, but for part of it, and talk to God. Turn your car into a chapel into a sanctuary. And so that's when Jesus became real to these men as they were talking and as they were eating together. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Amen. So, first question, when does Jesus become real to us? During hard times. Second question, how does Jesus become real to us? When we spend time in His Word and when we spend time in His presence. Now, here's the next question, last question. What is the result of Jesus becoming real? In other words, If you're here today and you say, well, you know, I want to try to figure out, is Jesus real to me or not? Well, here is the test. Look in verse number 32. They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so now Jesus is gone from their sight. And yet having spent this time in his presence, their hearts are on fire. And they're saying, didn't our heart burn within us? So look in verse 33 what they did. So they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven disciples and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. After having spent time in God's Word and after having spent time in the presence of Jesus Christ, what happened to them? Their hearts were on fire. 
And that fire spread. They went back to Jerusalem and they're starting to tell other people what had happened. And not only that, that fire became stronger as they were in the presence of other believers. One of the ways that you can know that Jesus Christ is real to you is simply this. Your heart is on fire with a love for God. And that fire is spreading. You're sharing Christ with others. And not only that, that fire is increasing. That fire is strengthening every time you come together with the people of God in God's house. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Is my heart on fire? Let me ask you today. Would you say that your heart is on fire for God? Now, sometimes in my life somebody asks me that question. I say, absolutely, my heart's on fire for God. Other times, fire goes out. Sometimes the fire is, is, is burning hot, man. And sometimes the fire goes out out. One of the greatest quotes in all of church history, it's attributed to John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, but there's much debate as to whether or not he's the one who said this or not. But somebody said this a long time ago. Some preacher who was used of God in a great way, and many people were saved through his ministry. Somebody asked this man one day, what is the secret to your ministry? You preach. And things happen. You preach and the Spirit moves. You preach and people get saved. What is the secret to your ministry? And whether this was Wesley or somebody else, this preacher said this. He said, here's the deal. I set myself on fire. And on Sundays, people come and watch me burn. He said, I set myself on fire. You know what the world we're living in? People don't want to set themselves on fire. In the world that we're living in today, people want somebody to fire them up. It's about an inch deep. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. And you know what? You can come to church on Sunday, and if the music's really good, and if the preaching's all right, we can fire you up. But if the only fire you have comes from the fact that we fired you up, by the time the sun goes down tonight, that fire will be out. But if you have learned through spending time in God's Word and spending time in God's presence to set yourself on fire, I'm telling you that fire will burn, that fire will spread, that fire will grow, and people at your office, people in your school, people in your neighborhood, people in your family, and people at this church will look to you. Why? They want to see you burn. And they want to see you burn with a fire and with a passion of God in your heart. And so today... Who here would say, man, Jesus is as real to me as as he needs to be? No, all of us would say, I want Jesus to be more real to me than he's ever been. He can be if we'll spend time in his word and we'll spend time in his presence. Amen. Father, I pray today that you will make this sermon a reality in our lives. That you, God, would set us on fire. Not that we fire each other up. That may be part of it. But God, that's a small part of it. I pray that we would spend our lives, God, setting ourselves on fire in your word and in your presence. And God, I pray that you would use our lives. I pray that when others look at us, whether it's here in this church building or whether it's out in the community, and whether they even know what's happening, I pray that they would say, that man, that woman, that person is on fire with something. They've got something I don't have, and they have something I need. And God, I pray that through our very lives... Your Holy Spirit would draw people to Jesus Christ with your head bowed and eyes closed. Christian friend, would you just ask God today to set your heart on fire for Him through His Word and through His presence? Would you ask Him to set your heart on fire for Him?
And then some here today, back to the beginning of this sermon, I said, how many of you have received Jesus? Well, not probably not everybody. If you have never been saved, we're going to give you an opportunity right now to receive Jesus Christ in a personal way. Would you just pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with part one on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. We invite you to keep up with us on social media. You can like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook or follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. And don't forget to share and to tell your family and friends about Peace by Believing. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Rabbit.